Holy Word to the book of Leviticus, and chapter 9, uh, verse 22. Uh, the text is going to focus on chapter 10, verse 3, but uh, I think the context is important as we look to that particular verse. Well, please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Leviticus 9, verse 22. These are the inspired, uh, inerrant words of God. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Amen. May God bless this most solemn word from his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come now once again to the preaching of the word, preaching on a very difficult topic, a topic that is not popular in our time, which is your holiness, Lord, and how that holiness extends especially into the worship of God. And uh, the minister, the pastor, the preacher here is, is in no way Sufficient for these things as we heard this morning. And so we pray that you would give him the sufficiency that comes from Christ. This is a word from Christ and not a word that comes from the prudence or wisdom of man, but instead it comes from the very wisdom of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would rest on the preacher and your spirit would also rest on those who will now. Hear this word, Father, that we would hear the words that the Lord has spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. So, Father, we pray that through the preaching of the word, you would be sanctified in this congregation, and you would be glorified among all her people. Father, we pray then to that end, you would prepare us now to meet with our God, and we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, sad to say, it is very clear that in our day and age, not many congregations connect the words that are before us with worship. I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And fewer yet know that those words were tied to two bodies consumed by the fire of God. 
and were the words of God that were given to a high priest, the father of these two dead men. Why did they die? Because they did not sanctify the Lord as they worshipped him. Uh, That word, boys and girls, is the same word used in the Lord's prayer to hallow thy name. They did not hallow, they did not think of God as holy when they came to worship him. And they did not glorify him. They treated him as profane, like the fire that they offered And so, as we begin a series on the worship of God, I want you to see where it all begins. That God must be sanctified in those who come near Him, and He must be glorified in His assembly, which is what we are right now. We are the assembly of God. That is the name for the church. We are the church, those who are the assembly of God. Everything about worship you're going to find through this series is an application of Leviticus 10, verse 3, including what we call the regulative principle of worship. Sometimes we can jump a little bit ahead, go to Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. We can look at the second commandment. But this is, this is the principle under the principle, that God is holy. And that is the theme I wish to preach on from Leviticus 10, 3, that His holiness extends to how we approach Him in worship. And as we consider our time today, and uh, bear with me, part of it's going to be a bit more didactic than usual, uh, we're going to look at these three headings that are on your bulletin. First, we're going to work towards a definition of worship. It's one of the interesting things, I think, about being made in the image of God to worship Him. We actually have a hard time putting our our finger on defining worship. If, If I had to ask you right now, would you be able to give a very good definition of worship. Uh, it's interesting. You can ask, uh, you can look at, at theologians and, and theologians have very, very different answers to it, though they, they have the essence and the kernel of it, I think, all together. So don't expect that the definition that we have is, is comprehensive, but it should get to the kernel of what we want to see in worship. Uh, so a definition of worship. Second, the holiness of worship, which is what the text is concerned with. And finally, If worship is holy, and it's holy to the Lord, that speaks to our conduct in worship. You know, sometimes I think we're more concerned about laying out the elements of worship and the circumstances of worship and defining what those are and ignore the fact that at the very end of it all, those all come out of an idea that what we do in worship is holy. And that that means that for you, who are not elders, uh, and for myself, as I conduct services, we have a duty to... Think of this time as a holy time. And that affects how we come into worship, how we prepare for worship, and what we do in the worship service. And so that'll be the application part of the service uh, sermon. All right, so first, a definition of worship. And as we work towards a formal definition, I want to consider six truths about worship that we need to know. Each truth will drive us into our uh, more robust definition of worship, as these are all elements that need to be considered in worship. And I I suppose if I were a more diligent man, I probably would have found seven to to make a nice round number there, biblically. However, six I think we'll do for today as we go through the the sermons. We'll go and look at other aspects of this. But these are core. And so the first truth is, you and I were made to worship God. And that's where you have to begin. We are his creation, friends. We're made of the dust. 
He is our creator who breathed life into us. We owe him our very existence. And so he must be worshipped by us. He must. There, there is no denying. We are creatures. He is creator. And so we must, by our very creation, worship he who created us. And so that's the first truth of worship. God is to be worshipped by all because he is our creator. Psalm 96, which we'll sing later on. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Why? Because he created all men. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. I already mentioned this, but praise God. We saw that in our call to worship. He is not the God of one tribe of men. He is the God of all men. And we praise God for that because that's why those of us who are not Jews are saved. Friends, he's the God of all men. Uh, But after the fall of man, while understanding man understands that he must worship God. First, he does not know the true God anymore at least uh, outside of general revelation. And second, he does not know how to worship him. If we create naturally idols, right, and call those gods, why do you think that we would naturally even know how to worship God? We don't, friends. That's the substance of the first two commandments, isn't it? And uh, I mentioned this, I believe, in the prayer, but a primary motivation for our evangelism then, right, Uh, as we consider May coming up, is to bring those lost souls into the worship of God. Because that is what they were made for, friends. To glorify God. Yes, we have compassion on those who are going astray, but we want to bring them here so that they might worship God. It's what you were made for. And so, believer, if, if you are not in the habit of being regular in the worship of God, you were made for this. You were made for this, and you need to be in the worship of God regularly. A contemporary minister said, the reason missions exist is because worship does not. That's why we go out to bring people into the house of God. So, to build on the first thought, then, that we are created to worship the true God, uh, the second thought which follows is that the true God is worthy of being worshipped. And that's the root of our English word worship. It comes from an old English word that's worth-ship. It's a compound word, worth-ship. When we say worship, what we say is we have come to acknowledge the worthiness of God, that he is worthy of my worship. And he is. He is, friends. Uh, What you need to acknowledge is that he is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. To receive our worship, isn't he? If you would meditate then on the perfections of God, we we considered the perfections of Christ a bit this morning. If we would truly and regularly look to the perfection of God, we would say, you are worthy, Lord, and I must worship you. So that's the second truth. The true God is worthy of being worshipped, friends. And the next thing that we want to to look at here is as well that uh, he is being served in worship. Uh, One of the things that we want to do when we acknowledge the worth of God, we say that first and foremost, worship is giving him his due. And it is not first and foremost about us receiving anything. 
This is where you will find we go horribly awry if you cannot begin there. And you will completely and utterly miss the point. Uh, Even as Reformed Christians, right, our our focus often is that the worship service is a time that is full of the means of grace. And praise God that it is, right? But we often miss the point, even as Reformed Christians, because one of the things you need to know about your fallen nature and mine, too, is fallen man is prone to abuse the graciousness of God. That he in his own worship does promise to feed us. We speak of him feeding us on the means of grace, praise God. But it is called a worship service for a reason. Because we serve God in worship. And that is our primary aim. And that's going to tell you straight away that our flesh is not always going to enjoy what we do here. Some days you might not feel like the sermon, the singing, and the prayers just did not do anything for you. Yet, if your heart makes that change, friends, to say, I have come to serve God for he is worthy, you will understand why you came here today and your spirit would rejoice anyhow. You would say, I serve the Lord this Sabbath day. And you would be satisfied and you would be blessed in that thinking. Friends, uh, Worship is one area where you can easily be deceived about what you are doing and why you're doing it for, what purpose it is, because your flesh and the devil want to rob God of the glory that he is due in his own worship. And you know, now when we think about, when we think about the Lord being so gracious in his worship service, when I was a ruling elder and, uh, you know, I would work on the pastoral prayers, it often struck me. That when I considered what worship is, you know, our service to God, uh, it struck me that in our service to him, we were being blessed. Right? That God in his worship says, you serve me by bringing your own needs before me. Isn't that a remarkable thing that really speaks to the graciousness of God? That God in his worship says, you serve me by hearing my voice and then feeding on it. But the deceitfulness of your heart and mine is to reverse the order of importance. To come for the blessing and not for the service. Nehemiah once lamented, In thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turn they from their wicked works. What that shows is that in the face of God's grace, we are prone to abuse What he gives us. And sometimes we completely miss the point. In fact, sometimes we sin all the more. So remember, you come here not first and foremost to receive a blessing. You come here first and foremost to give your service to the Lord because he is worthy. What do the saints in heaven say? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to what? Receive glory. You see that? That's sending to the Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation 4 verse 11. We give in worship. We serve in worship. He is here now present to receive our worship, beloved, for his glory. And that is going to be important later in our series 
which if we are here to serve God, we need to seek his will in the matter of divine worship to know how to serve him if worship is service. So then the third thing which I have spoken of just now is the true God is to be served in worship. And uh, our English word, uh, our English word for worship, our language has one main word for worship. Uh, But as we work through, and again, this will be a bit more didactic tonight, uh, but the Greek New Testament has a few different words for worship. And I think together they communicate the fullness of divine worship. Uh, One such word is the Greek word latria, which means service. Uh, Hebrews 9.1 is great for this. Uh, We'll get to it someday. Then verily the first covenant also had also ordinances of divine service. There's that word, service, and a worldly sanctuary. Uh, And that Greek word, uh, latria, is where the word liturgy comes from, which is an order of service, like the one that we have here. This liturgy comes from the fact that we are serving God in this way, friends. This is our service to God. And so worship is serving God. Now, another Greek word to consider is proskuneo, which means to bow down. And that's meant to be our frame in the worship service, to be humbled before God. Uh, So that's the fourth thing, then, if you're keeping track. The fourth thing is you come in worship humbled before the true God. You don't come here prideful. You don't come here coming to say that I am going to be in judgment over God's service, but I have come humbly to give him his worth I have come humbly to uh, give him the service he is due. And it's so fascinating that Jesus used both these words together, latria and proskuneo, uh, in Matthew 4 when he defeated the devil. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship, proskuneo, the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve, latria. And so he connects both of those with the worship of God. And the last word, which is important for us, I want to consider before we move to a more formal definition, is the word used in Acts 16, verse 14, to speak of Lydia. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple in the city of Thyatira, which worshipped, and here's this word, Sibo, uh, God. And the root of the word Sibo meant something like to fall back. To fall back. It communicates fear. Fear. It communicates the reaction. Now, as you maybe boys and girls remember this falling back, that's the reaction so many had to meeting God. They fell back, didn't they? And you have to understand, if we've called on the special presence of God, there has to be an element of of fear here, of reverent fear. Uh, This falling back or falling on your face, it's the reverence and awe he is due in worship. And that's why the Gentiles who worship the Lord were called what? God-fearers. God-fearers, like Lydia. And so the fifth thing is, you come with reverence and fear before the true God. And I have to ask, I know this is not our time of application, but the Lord seems to be moving my spirit and provoking me. Is that how you have come? Have you come with a sense of fear for the Lord? And a sense of reverence and awe that you meet with God. Because, yes, you don't see him here as a pillar of fire. But by faith, you have to believe he is. 
And he is here in a special way. All right, so there's, there's more that can be said, but the last thing. So if that was the fifth, come with reverence and fear before the true God. Uh, but the most important thing for us to remember before I move on is that after the fall, you must have a mediator to mediate your worship. John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We can't come to God and worship without Jesus. It's impossible to do so. Our worship is only through Christ alone. So sixth, the true God can only be worshipped through the mediator, Jesus. And so just as a quick recap for you. First, the true God is to be worshipped because he is our creator. Second, the true God is worthy of being worshipped. Third, the true God is to be served in worship. Fourth, the true God expects us to be humbled in worship. Fifth, the true God expects us to have reverent fear in worship. And sixth, the true God can only be worshipped through the mediator, Jesus. Now we'll expand on those as our series unfolds over the, the weeks ahead, but this gives us a foundation. So from that, I want to attempt a biblical definition of worship for us. And it's not like we can flip into our Bible and uh, get a definition straight out of the word of God. And so this is kind of a, a compendium of many of the aspects we see of worship. We can play with it here and there, but I think this gets to the essence of what is important, at least for tonight. And so if you're taking notes, a definition would be something like this. Worship is the coming into the special presence of the holy triune God to ascribe the glory he is due through Jesus Christ by serving him acceptably with faith, love, reverence, and awe. Let me say that again. Worship is the coming into the special presence of the holy triune God to ascribe the glory he is due through Jesus Christ by serving him acceptably and with faith, reverence, love, and awe. Now, no definition of worship is going to be airtight in a single sentence, but I believe the statement contains the essence of divine worship. You'll likely need to think through that definition yourself. Uh, God willing, we'll return to it through the series. I know I've not explained it all, but for tonight, one aspect of that definition you need to keep in mind is how I said we come into the special presence of God. And that's very important because there's a teaching that's going around these days that says all of life is worship. And there's an element in that that is true in terms of all of life is service to God. But not all of life is special worship. Um, there are marked out times of worship where God promises his special presence to bless his people and to receive honor from him. Our text, as we start to now get into the text, in verse 3 speaks of it. I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me or near me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. You see, in a sense, God is everywhere, isn't he? He's omnipresent, right? He is everywhere. But you notice that the verse says, those who come near me. There is a special presence that we come to in the worship service of God. And that's important to know. We have come into the special presence of God in worship. 
And we will talk about that some more when we consider the elements of worship. And we'll talk about a circumstance that's called the call to worship. And how we set our time apart. Noting that this is the special time of worship. But uh, for now, I simply want us to get our bearings and use that to get us a definition. And now we'll turn to our second heading where we'll get into the text proper, which is the holiness of worship. Thank you for uh, sitting through that as we worship the God by even uh, our God by understanding what worship is. Well, before you now is one of the saddest accounts in all the Bible. The consummation of two priests who had come to serve the Lord. Nadab and Abihu, boys and girls, you might recognize them as the eldest sons of Aaron, the high priest. Clearly, dearly beloved of their father. The nephews of Moses, aren't they? And their account here, their charred bodies, tells you this truth, people of God. God is no respecter of persons. Absolutely not. Not only were they ordained priests, ordained to the priesthood, they were also blood relatives of Moses. And Nadab, the eldest son of Aaron, was in line to be the next high priest. God is no respecter of persons in this assembly. Not me and not you. And we all need to get that straight. God's aim is his own glory and his own holiness. It is our service to him to always remember, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And we need constant reminders of this truth, friends. Do not grow dull because you have probably heard that before as reformed Presbyterians. Because what is perhaps most shocking about these two priests and brothers is that they themselves had had an experience with the living God that few living souls ever have had. In Exodus 24, they went up to the near, rather, the holy mount with the 70 elders, and they beheld God. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. There they are. And 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. They beheld the holiness of God. And they saw what he was like. And it ought to bring chills to you when you hear of what they saw firsthand. Exodus twenty four seventeen, And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire. On the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. Devouring fire. How utterly tragic that they forgot this direct experience of God's holiness. And so beloved if you have heard over and over again that God is holy. You are prone to forget it yourself. These two priests show you that you are prone to forget and I am too. That he is a consuming fire. He is utterly holy and will burn up that which is not. One of our brothers quoted from Isaiah 6 this afternoon. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's who you approach in worship, friends. That's who you approach right now. That's who is here consuming fire in our midst. And so knowing that, and returning back to Leviticus 10.1, we read, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered, here's the key phrase, strange fire before the Lord, which he, what? Commanded them not. So the brothers offered what the Lord calls strange fire, which they were not commanded to give, that he had never told them to give. Uh, you might ask, boys and girls, what, what fire was he supposed to use? What these boys supposed to these boys, these priests supposed to use? Uh, Leviticus 6, verse 13. It's the fire that was ever burning on the altar. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. They were supposed to take that fire and use it in the worship of God. Instead, they found something else to bring. Uh, and we don't know why. The text doesn't reveal it, whether it was for expediency or another reason. Whatever the specific reason was, the Lord shows you why they did it. What was in their heart? They forgot the holiness of God. I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And that is the reason why the Lord must be worshipped with care. Sometimes we begin with the regulative principle of worship that God must be worshipped as he prescribes. Deuteronomy 12 verse 32. But we really have to start here, friends. So today, before we get to the regular principle, which will be a little bit down the line, I want you to know the principle behind or beneath the principle that God is holy and must be approached in a holy manner. You and I must sear that thought into our hearts and minds, and I think it would affect us in how we worshiped if we would. For it would not only make ministers and elders structure a worship service in that manner, and that burden, by the way, is not on you. That burden is on the ministers and the elders. And so I do want to give a word that if you have ever felt burdened by the fact that you feel like the worship service is not structured according to the word of God, well, first speak to us. But if you're somewhere else, remember the burden is on them who lead the service, like Nadab and Abihu, and not on you. Right? Now, your conduct in it, we'll talk about a bit later. But especially what you need, you who sit in the pews, is your burden is to draw near to a worship service as though God is holy. That's your burden, friends. To come and meet with God and sanctify Him. You know, for when He meets His people, that time and place is sanctified. Uh, not because of the place. I don't think it takes a lot to see that this is not a place that in itself is sanctified. right? And that's actually the point. Uh, I praise God that we're not in a cathedral or something like that. We can miss the point. right? Here, 
We do not find that the place itself is sanctified, nor do we find that 10.30 a.m. and 2 o'clock p.m. are a particularly sanctified time. You know, other religions at certain times of the day, they have to go and do something. That's not the case, and that shows you that they completely miss it, right? The, the point is that this time and place is sanctified because of the glory and presence of God. Exodus 29.43, speaking of the tabernacle, which should show you that the tabernacle itself is not holy. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. It is the glory of God. And so when the Lord called us to worship this afternoon and we called on his name to set this time apart for the worship of God, by faith, you must perceive that this very time and this very place has been sanctified by the special presence of God. And because Nadab and Abihu were careless in their duties to serve God acceptably, and that root is, is not because they were careless, really. The root of that is that they had no concern to sanctify him or hallow him. And that's where it began. They were devoured by the consuming fire of the Lord. Listen to this. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. In the midst of serving God, they were devoured. And that's a solemn thing. You know, the sons of Aaron, ordained priests, consumed in the very worship of God. What that tells you is that the worship of God is no light thing, friends. Yet that's how many of us treat it. <laughs> we'll see in the next heading that this very truth must, must have bearing on our conduct. It absolutely must. Now you might say, hold up, pastor. This is the Old Testament. New Testament worship is more free, less constrained. But you would, you'd be utterly wrong about that, friends, because the object of worship is the same. And as you have heard, the, what worship is derives from the very being of God as being holy. Unless you can tell me that God is not holy today, which is impossible, for he would not be God, then the worship of God remains holy. What do we know of God? We were in Malachi. For I am the Lord... I change not. Malachi 3.6. And what do we even hear of our Lord Jesus? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? But you say, okay, well, fine. That's uh, maybe what you Presbyterians call a good and necessary consequence. But I still demand chapter and verse. And I, that's, that's an unreasonable demand, first of all. But sad to say, I think God knows you might say it. So let me give you chapter and verse. Hebrews 12 Verses 28 through 29. Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve, that is, worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. And you remember who Paul was, re, uh, was, was writing to as we've been in the book of Hebrews. This is why these two series are going to interleave, I think, beautifully together. You remember that Paul was writing to the Hebrews and they knew their Old Testament, friends. So what do you think Paul wanted them to think of when he preached consuming fire? 
and connected it to serving him acceptably with reverence and awe. Leviticus 10 verse 3, Nadab and Abihu. And you have plenty of evidence in the New Testament, ample evidence that God's nature is unchanged. (laughs) Ananias and Sapphira's dead bodies testify to it. Yes, that was not worship, but that is a lesser to greater argument, friends. God is holy. And even if outside of the worship service, there are bodies in the New Testament. How much we must fear in worship for I am the Lord. I change not. And I'll give you more evidence too. in worship. The Apostle Paul said many will be judged in taking the Lord's Supper by not discerning the Lord's body for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh. What's the word? Damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body for this cause. Many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. 1 Corinthians 11, 29-30. Pause there. And see, what we love about the Lord's Supper is the gracious presence of God in it, isn't it? But do you hear, do you hear that there's also judgment? That the gracious presence in the Supper can turn to damnation? What happened in the Old Testament with Nadab and Abihu, it was shown to extend into the New Covenant, friends. I want you to know that because as I have said earlier, we often take God's grace for granted. And this is why I wanted to start in Leviticus 9 when we consider the context of this uh, this death of these two boys or priests. Just a few verses back from their consumption. I'm going to go back to uh, 9.23. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. Here is the glory of God. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Do you not hear that God came to bless the people? God came to bless the people The fire that came out from the Lord, listen to this, the fire of the Lord before it consumed Nadab and Abihu was a fire of blessing to consume the sacrifice for sin that was typological of Christ. The same fire of blessing becomes the fire of damnation when the Lord is not sanctified. So remember, friends, as we think on these things, You who have faith in the Lord. Yes, we can only worship uh, God because Christ mediates for us. Yet you and I are never told to take the grace of the Lord Jesus for granted. But to the contrary. What did we hear last Lord's Day? There is forgiveness with thee. Why? That thou mayest be feared. Psalm 130 verse 4. You and I are forgiven So we might serve the Lord with fear as Lydia did as a God fear. And that was the truth that Paul taught about the Lord's Supper, which is why he says, examine yourself before you come to the table. And so the worship of God is a time set apart for holiness. And we must approach God acceptably with reverence and awe, for he is a consuming fire. And that has to be. Our attitude in worship. And that is how we must conduct ourselves, friends. 
And we must, and maybe it is just the nature of fallen man, or maybe it is the time and place that we live, but it is especially the nature of man. We must stop protesting God's holiness in worship. Consider the grief in Aaron's heart. His eldest boys charred and consumed by God. He undoubtedly thought Nadab was to be high priest someday. And the temptation that arose in him to despise God for taking his sons in worship, to despise the Lord that all they were doing was seeking to serve. Why could this holy, righteous God just not be a bit more gracious? And is that not the thinking of all those worshipers who cry out Christian liberty in worship? And undoubtedly, this is what provoked the Lord to send Moses to Aaron. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And what was Aaron's response? Because undoubtedly Aaron, uh, was, his heart was troubled, and perhaps he was ready to sin against the Lord in his heart. So what do we read was Aaron's response? And Aaron held his peace. When he remembered the truth of who God is, Aaron had to confess, God is more righteous than me to do this thing. He recognized It was the Lord's prerogative as holy to have us come as he wishes. You remember years later, boys and girls, there was another priest named Eli. And he heard grave news about his own family from the boy Samuel. He heard those hard words. And what did he have to say? It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. That needs to be your mindset when it comes to worship. Friends, it needs to be mine as well. And that takes us to our last heading, conduct in worship. Now, in our circles, we work really hard to get the elements of worship proper and tidy. And I think it's right that we argue and we debate to make sure no strange fire comes in into the worship of God. And I pray and I know it has come from godly men who have a desire to hallow the Lord in worship. But uh, I'll say it again, to get this order of worship correct, friends, does not mean it follows that our congregation and our elders will approach the Lord in a right manner. Each of us, when we approach worship, must remember, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, which is what you have done this afternoon. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Friends, you can sing the Psalms. You can listen to the sermon right now, but without engaging your heart with the Lord as sanctified, you will not be serving him. You will not be worshiping him. I want you, friends, to have a holy and reverent fear of God when you come. You know, the joy of worship, right, is recognizing what we have seen in Leviticus 9 and 10. That the fire of God felt on fell on the Son of God as the Lamb of God and not on me by faith in Him. That's the joy, right? But the sad reality is that the Son of God had to be consumed by God in my place 
And that's what brings that reverent fear and joy as we come into the worship service. That God takes holiness so seriously, friends, that we sometimes think Nadab and Abihu that were charred. But God takes his holiness so seriously that the Son of God was slain. So that we can approach God in a manner worthy of him. That's how seriously God takes holiness. And we must remember that as we come into service. So in love and reverence, I sanctify him in my heart and I must serve him in worship. And in each element of the service, you need to engage yourself to his service. Heart, mind, and body. The whole man. Sing with understanding. Pray with the elder. Hear the voice of your beloved in the scripture and in the preaching Bask in the benediction, knowing it's just not a word sent by a guy who is raising his hands, but is actually from God. Don't just go through the motions, but by faith perceive what is behind what is going on in the service of God. And that's why we have the series on worship, so that as we break apart the elements, you may better engage in holy service by faith. And for the remainder of our time, I want to speak on something that is very, very near and dear to the Lord and also to my own heart, which is that, beloved, prepare before you come to meet with this holy God. Now I speak now as your pastor, and I hope you know I love you and I care for you. But when I read through this text and I thought of you, I feared for us, friends, I fear that many of you are not prepared to meet with God when you come. How do I know? Partly what I observe of your conduct before and sometimes during worship. Let's begin before worship. First, to just start with the basics. If, if you treat the service as coming nigh before God, I do not suppose you would ever be late. Unless... You, of course, have some providence. And several of you are very good at letting us know that you're going to be late because something has happened. And that's fine. This is not what God's talking about. But there's a regularity in, in being late. Then I have to ask. And I have to ask because I think it reflects on something. Are we coming? Are you coming before God uh, who is holy? And would you be late? Would you miss the call to worship? To come after the call to worship is no small thing, friends. So ordinarily, I would exhort you to prepare your heart by being here well before services begin. So you can prepare to meet with this holy God. And before the service, prepare yourself to meet with the Lord. This is something that grieves me as well, beloved of God. And I know, I know, because I know, I love it too. I know you love to meet with one another before the service, right? I do too. Uh, This is the one day of the week where we have that foretaste of heaven, knowing that we will all be together, and this is our time to fellowship with one another. But friends, again, that twists the direction. We first have come to worship God, right? Uh, When I count down the minutes, and I think you know I do that, and, and hear me, this is not about anything I feel like you're ignoring me. But when you ignore that, Friends, and you know, the appointed hour comes, and you're still not taking a seat, and you still haven't prepared your hearts. 
It doesn't ruffle my feathers personally, friends, but I feel the burden of Moses speaking here to Aaron. Sanctify the Lord. What have we come here to do? So let's prepare our hearts. And there's plenty of time, I hope, in the day to catch up with one another. But first and foremost, take a few minutes to come and prepare yourself to meet with the Lord. Get your heart set. Uh, This is why I asked the session. Because I know it. I've been in your shoes. It has not been very long. I'm guilty of it as much as any of you. Um, But I know that my heart is not always ready to jump into worship when the call to worship is come. So that's why I asked the session to authorize that minute of silent prayer before the service. But in some ways, that's rather like a bandage on the core problem. Let's prepare our hearts to meet with the Lord. And that begins the day before, really. The night before, pray and ask the Lord to sanctify your hearts. Uh, I send out the orders of worship and you don't, this is not a law. <laughs> but I send it out so that you may be able to reflect on the texts. And you may be able to reflect on the Psalms that you might prepare to meet with, the God, uh, with God fully engaged. So prepare to meet with the consuming fire of this text and engage in every portion. This is service to God. And uh, so if I perhaps uh, have pricked you a bit, let me commend you in this as a congregation. You are perhaps, before God is my witness, I will say, you are perhaps one of the most attentive congregations I have preached in. You really are. Uh, there is a hunger for the word of God uh, that, you know, if at the two o'clock hour, especially as long as I preach, uh, oftentimes you would have people who are fast asleep and snoring. Uh, but you are a congregation that is very attentive to the preached word. And I praise God for that. Um, but just make sure, and I'm not saying you're not, but make sure the entire time that you are here is a time of reverent service to the Lord. It's about 90 minutes, not just in the preaching, but in all of it. And I, I hope that joyful reverence would be the hallmark of our services. I really do. And uh, boys and girls, I'll speak to you as well. The Lord does not exempt you right, from this holy reverence. Um, this is also for you as well, especially those of you who are old enough to understand what we are doing here. Uh, we love having you in this room with us. Right? Our Lord Jesus Christ said that you are to come to him, and we love that you're here. Uh, but our love for you is also in having you serve the Lord with us in reverence and awe. Learn at an early age, boys and girls, what it is to be holy and reverent in the worship service. We talked about Samuel. You remember he was very young, wasn't he? He was a young boy when he went to actually serve and minister before God. You can all serve him. I love this. See our kids here paying good attention. That's a wonderful thing. Do that, boys and girls. Do that. I know you can sit through a three-hour movie. I know it. You can sit here for 50 minutes and listen to the sermon, and you can sing for 10 minutes as well and pray with the elder who is praying. And for parents, uh, please teach them. This is a holy time. Uh, Reinforce that in a manner that is proper for every age group, right? You know, our our very youngest, right? There's very little they know, but they can tell from your carriage and your attitude on how you treat it that they would see that this is a holy time. Uh, Family worship is one of the best ways to do this training. You know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, let them squirm a little bit, but even at home, reinforce that worship is a holy time and correct them if they do not treat it that way. Uh, You know, 
We, we think about discipline just generally speaking, but if they will not learn it at a young age, we ask the question, when will they learn? Right? Even the smallest child, uh, I've always marveled at this, even the smallest child can know what it means to be reverent. You know, even uh, I was a pagan, but even at a very young age, I remember my parents making me put my hands together, right? And praying, bowing my head, close my eyes, right? Uh, encourage them then to be reverent in prayer, bow their heads and close their eyes. Have them sing the Psalms. Don't exempt them from that in whatever way they can. Let them engage. Uh, and when the scriptures are read, tell them this is the holy word of God. Let's try to pay attention to it as well. Even one-year-olds I've seen can do it and do it well. It takes work, yes, but it will pay dividends later, as we like to say. But parents, I think, uh, you know, I've talked about the children for, for a bit, but parents, where it really begins is in your own heart, right? Because if you truly believe what we are hearing this afternoon, it'll be in your conduct. And they know when you react in a certain way, this is the worship of God. When you have that in your own heart, they will pick up on it as they have picked up on several of your behaviors already. And they will only, they will only take what you give them. So impart these things to them. You know, they're watching how seriously you take the service. I've commended you for your attentiveness, but let's imagine there is a parent who is not attentive, who is not engaged, do you think that their children are going to grow up to worship the Lord? Unlikely, friends. Unlikely parents. Maybe I'll connect this to the text. I do not want any of you or myself to experience the grief Aaron had over his own sons. What a grief that is. It may not be that you will grieve over charred bodies, but you might grieve over apostate souls. And that's a solemn grief, friends, apostasy, a judgment on their souls. So teach them to worship well and to have reverence and fear for the Lord. And uh, if any here disregards the message of our text, uh, as Paul showed with the Lord's Supper, it may not be that the Lord will send fire to burn you if you do not hallow him. But many, many have gone apostate because they did not hallow the Lord. And that is a terrifying judgment because it might well be it might well be, friends, and I have a sense that that is the case, that Nadab and Abihu were saved. They were believers, very much so, I believe. But as those in 1 Corinthians 11, their bodies slept and their souls were in heaven. But you remember other men like Uzzah, who were struck down, believers who wanted to do something good, but not in the way God prescribed, and he was struck dead. And I want to just tell you, apostasy is way worse than that. Because apostates will find the eternal fires of hell to consume them. Either way, friends, we dare not take the worship of God lightly. Next time, we will see that due to God's holiness, he regulates his worship. And we'll return to this text and consider the strange fire itself. But tonight, especially if you're new to our church or new to the RP church, I hope you see why the Reformed Presbyterian Church takes worship seriously. And it's simply summed up by this phrase the holiness of God. Though frankly, frankly, I think our conduct, and I'm not speaking about just our congregation, I'm talking about the denomination and and churches as a whole, Um, our conduct in and out of worship, I think friends could better reflect God's holiness. 
I was thinking of Nadab and Abihu, and it grieved me that I've seen far too many memes that take this holy text to make jokes. Jokes about worship, telling me that far too few of us, even in the RP church, understand the holiness of God. Forgetting, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. When you worship, then, be filled with reverent joy. Jesus dead to enable you to come near God, experiencing the fire of God's wrath for your sin. Praise God. But in no way does that excuse you from drawing near to God and me too with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. May God leave behind a blessing as we have served him this afternoon. Let's rise for prayer.